love luminous writing and love lit mags? I know you do, that's why you're here, right? So I know you will love the Lit Mag Love Anthology. It's beautiful and filled with over 150 pages of poems and stories, and each poem or story in the anthology first found a home in a literary magazine. The Lit Mag Love Anthology republishes their works alongside the tale of how each author successfully submitted and published their work in Lit Mags. I'm so thrilled to show the results of the dedicated writing and submitting practices of these writers from the Lit Mag Love course community. This is work of both their creative hearts and luminous minds. So if you'd love to get a free copy of the Lit Mag Love anthology, you can get yours at litmaglove.com anthology. Now on with more Lit Mag Love. What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. My guest today, Marjorie Tesser, is the editor of Mom Egg Review. She has co-edited the anthologies Bowery Women Poems and Estamos Aquí, Poems of Migrant Farmworkers, as well as Traveling Mama, Mothers, Mothering, and Travel. She authored poetry chapbooks The Important Thing Is and The Magic Feather, and her poetry and fiction has appeared in several journals and anthologies. Mom Egg Review is a literary journal about motherhood. It promotes and celebrates the creative force of mother writers and artists. And Mom Egg Review is about being a mother in its many varieties. It is also about being a daughter, worker, partner, artist, a member of cultures and communities. And it explores how these identities can collide and coexist. So welcome to the Lit Mag Love podcast, Marjorie Tesser. Hi, thanks. Great to be here. It's great to have you. So I know you say that Mum Egg Review is for everyone who is or has had a mother. So how do you open the magazine up to a wide range of motherhood experiences, to a range of mothers of different genders, races, classes, and so forth? Um, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, I think one of the strengths of our publication is the range of voices that we publish. Um, We've published people from all across the country and from several other countries in the world, from the Philippines and Africa and France and Israel. And it contributes to the variety of um, experiences of motherhood that we're able to portray. So it's very important for us to have a diverse uh, body of work submitted to us. And the way we do this is is, uh, we try (laughs) on a number of uh, parameters how to accomplish this. Um, We widely publicize our call for submissions and specifically invite um, groups that support the work of various ethnicities to share with their constituents. So we write to Kaveh Kanan and Kundaman and the Italian-American writers 
And uh, we also share our calls with other journals that focus on particular communities, such as Quelle Journal and Lavender Review. So we uh, try to make the fact that we're looking for submissions uh, available to a broad variety of people. Um, we have a week of free submissions for people who, you know, for whom our minimal submission fee of $3 may be prohibitive. Our first week of submissions is free. We also offer people who miss that window uh, the opportunity to get a scholarship submission. Another way we encourage diversity is we, in addition to our print issue, we have a quarterly online issue. And we have guest curators who curate packets of 10 poems or short stories um, from among their communities. So that brings in people who might not otherwise have known about us or have thought to submit. A um, couple of other things. We make sure that when we do a reading or a panel that our reading or panel is diverse so that the face we're presenting to the community is one of diversity. And our editors come from diverse backgrounds. So um, those are some of the things we do, but we're always trying to do better. I know you ask that if the submitter is not a mother, you say the piece must be focused on motherhood or have a central, not peripheral character who is a mother. I'm wondering what are some of the more creative ways that that's played out in the submissions that have worked? I think the most creative one that I've seen recently was in our most recent issue. Brina Clark uh, wrote a story from the perspective of a non-human mother, a dog, <laughs> in um, post-slavery times. And that was um, incredibly moving. Uh, we've had uh, people write about their partner's experiences with fertility treatments with great specificity and sensitivity. Uh, people often write about their own mothers, either in life or in death. I had an adopted son uh, write a poem envisioning his birth mother. So there are many ways, you know, anyone who's had a mother might engage with that material uh, in a literary manner. Yeah, you're talking about the literary qualities of the of the writing that you publish. And, and I know you put it elsewhere in another interview that a quick look will show that if the work reads like a greeting card or a popular magazine article, it's not for us. So what are ways that you would encourage writers to find their literary voice when it comes to this theme of mothers and motherhood? Well, uh, I guess the thing that I can recommend most would be to write often, as often as you can. Um, I had studied with um, the poet Marie Ponceau, who raised seven children um, as a single mother. And she said that there is always 10 minutes out of a day that you can find to write, whether it's first thing in the morning or as she did after the children were asleep. And often that 10 minutes, if if uh, circumstances agree, will extend to more. And what you get from, from that sort of free writing um, is a chance to engage with your own thoughts and your own ideas. And the more you do it, the more you may find that um, you become more articulate, 
you become more nuanced in terms of what you realize about the things that you're writing about. In terms of uh, not being greeting card or popular magazine article, uh, we publish literary writing, not just writing. So uh, we don't want anything that's pat or facile or um, sentimental in the way of being emotional without uh, specificity. So the way that I would encourage writers to uh, prepare to write for a journal would be um, to go deeper, to go beyond, I love my child so much, or this was really painful, to really engage with the subject matter in some thoughtful way, um, emotionally, intellectually, analytically. I think the best pieces contain some element of surprise or strangeness, but also um, something that the reader might recognize. So surprise or strangeness can come in the form of an unusual or unfamiliar situation, but also you can use a surprising image, surprising language, surprising form. The ideas themselves may be surprising or the emotions may not be what is expected. Um, recognition in the reader arises uh, when the piece is somehow in conversation with something the reader thinks or knows, either to confirm it or to challenge uh, something that the reader thinks. And so a piece that has both that strangeness and that element of recognition uh, is likely to be a successful piece for us. Yeah, I love how you describe that idea of the specificity required for this kind of writing, too. There are so many taboos about motherhood, yet literary writing is a call to break taboos and, like you said, get into that um, unique perspective or angle, which often requires that kind of taboo breaking. So what do you appreciate most about combining these two things, the taboos about what we can say about motherhood in that kind of hallmark way that people expect, and then the deep revelations about what it means to be a mother in literary writing? Okay, well, in terms of subject matter, um, we resist society and the media's attempts to um, categorize mothers and stereotype mothers and motherhood. And um, we try to offer pieces that engage with a full spectrum of experience. And uh, it's not just good moms and bad moms. People are nuanced and situations are nuanced and motherhood is about as complicated a situation as there can be. Um, it's very powerful for mothers to be able to tell their own stories in their own words and to add these stories to the broader conversation about what it means to be human. We have several thousands of years of men's stories about what it means to be human. And for many years, women's voices have been muted or stifled, um, so that publications that support women's perspectives and voices really can only contribute to all of our understanding. And, and we're very happy to provide a forum for that. There's something that I, that I brought up before as well with Felicity Land of Literary Mama talking about the idea of the kind of loss that mothers can experience, be it sort of, you know, writ larger or in smaller ways. 
I think it ties into what you're saying about us hearing kind of men's stories over over the years too, that there's a bit of resistance or, or even just sort of denial almost of the profundity of that kind of loss or, or the validity of being able to tell that story. And as Felicity Landis said, um, that loss is inherent in motherhood stories, that losing identity and then um, that children grow up and you're you know losing your identity again. And one thing I've found in talking to a lot of editors, and even when I started at Room, that stories about losing a child is one big taboo in writing that editors would rather not have you send them work on that subject. It's something that's been expressly stated. So I guess, how do you, how do you receive stories of loss at the review? And then I guess the bigger question is even, you know, why, why are these stories not seen as, you know, these are the ones that we're saying, no, no, we don't want, we don't want any more of that. Well, you know, Loss is difficult. <laughs> Loss is difficult for all humans, and and being a mother uh, is certainly a status that that makes you vulnerable to loss. I don't know why editors don't like poems about losing a child. I I understand that it's difficult material, but we at Mameg Review welcome exploration of difficult material. We've published stories about physical loss of a child, whether through miscarriage or an older child, estrangement of children, loss of a parent. These are all parts of life. And if they're dealt with sensitively and thoughtfully, um, we welcome them along with other stories about the joys of mothering. That being said, we receive many more stories about loss than we can possibly publish. And even if we don't end up choosing someone's work for publication, we try to honor uh, and respect the person who has shared that profound material with us. You know, uh, I've had submitters say uh, that other editors have said they don't want mommy poems. They assume, you know, there was someone who, I'm blanking on the name of the person who wrote the essay, but there was a person who wrote an essay about the problem of writing a poem about a baby is that it will be automatically assumed to be sentimental and and not valid in a literary manner. And uh, we don't have that bias. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's that you've hit the nail on the, the head. There's this sort of bias that there's something sentimental just about motherhood, inher- inherently about motherhood, and being able to talk about both the positive and the negative experience of that is sort of often read as sentimental. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the, those editors who won't publish a story about the loss of a child, but would publish something about the loss of the sad hunting dog, for example. I mean, that, that's a bias. That's a bias against mothers and about against women's experiences. Yes. Thank you. I couldn't quite get that question out, and I was sort of dancing around it, but I think you really hit it. It's sort of a question I had, too, is about this bias, and even just having these conversations has been helpful with editors to kind of clarify, oh, yeah, there is really that, that bias there. And I'm wondering... It leads me to my next question, which is, do you think society's general hostility towards motherhood, which I think, you know, this bias is, is part of, uh, coupled with the idea that it's incongruent with a writing life, that you have to choose between having 
children or, or writing books. Does that make publishing Mum Egg Review an act of resistance? Does it feel like a resistance for you? I think you alluded a bit to that earlier too. Absolutely. I, I feel like it is uh, a privilege to um, have these writers speaking their truths and we encourage mothers to tell their truths and to engage with their own creativity. You know, a lot of being a mother is uh, being self-effacing and you can both mother someone else and also mother your own creativity and um, engage with your art. There are two billion mothers in this world, and there are only a handful of publications and arts organizations that focus on mothers. There's Mother, Mother's Always Right, Literary Mama, Pen Parentis, and in art, there's the Procreate Project. And, and we're all doing our best to restore the balance of narratives in the world. Yeah, I love that. It definitely feels like resistance to be trying to restore that balance. I want to turn to the submissions themselves at the journal. I'm wondering, what is one thing you wish writers understood before they hit submit with you? Okay, um, that we don't only publish writing, but we publish literary writing. So please send your best and most resonant work. It should um, engage with motherhood and if there's a theme with the theme on a substantive level not just uh, in terms of having a character who's a mother, where uh, this year's theme is home. I'm very interested in someone who's going to think about the nature of home or what it means to have a home or not have a home, as opposed to just something that takes place in a room. I would hope that writers understand that your work uh, submitted to us will be read with care and respect by at least two editors and often by others as well, uh, readers, and that we're a volunteer organization and that our volume of submissions is quite large. So we do our best to communicate timeframes and deadlines and uh, be as explicit as we can in our submissions guidelines, and that we're always open to being contacted with questions or uh, comments. And, oh yes, and if uh, we do have a rather long submissions period, so if any of your work gets, uh, that was submitted to us gets accepted by another publication, we would hope that you would let us know promptly about that. That's always good. So what, what kind of approach do you take to editing? So once you've accepted a piece, are you rather hands-on? You, do you tend to be hands-off or does it vary per genre? Uh, for the most part, we do not do a lot of editing. Um, we uh, really trust the artistic um, impulses of our writers and often feel, especially in poetry, that uh, something like non-standard punctuation may be part of what the writer intends. We do do some editing um, in that we value content over form. If someone submits to us uh, a very strong piece that's poorly punctuated, say, we will make editorial suggestions about that. But the piece has to be, in most respects, uh, finished work that is proofread 
and strong writing. We really don't have the resources to do extensive edits on pieces. So we, we hope that the pieces are pretty complete when they're submitted to us. Yeah, what well-revised work that's ready to go. Absolutely. Can you talk a bit about your own writing life and how has motherhood fit or not fit with writing for you? Well, um, I don't know that I'm the best example. I did not write publicly until after my children were grown. Um, That being said, I wrote continually throughout the child-rearing years, but in stolen moments and fits and starts. But um, the experience of being a mother is such an incredibly rich experience. And um, I feel that it has impacted on all of my subsequent work, whether or not the subject matter of the piece is about motherhood, because it has so impacted on my own worldview that I feel like it's a, a really basic part of who I am as a writer. In, in what way? Is there any example that you want to give us? Um, well, it's made me view the world with more compassion, I think, and uh, more critically both, because I'm thinking about my children and my grandchildren whenever I encounter anything in the world. It's not just myself that I think for. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your Lit Mag love with us today. What, what's the best way for people to encounter Mum Egg Review or to, to connect with you? Okay. Well, we have a website called momeggreview.com um, that has lots of great stuff. We have um, poetry and fiction on the website. Uh, there's a quarterly issue that comes out with new material. We also publish book reviews of books by mother writers and women writers and interviews with people like Ann Waldman and Marie Ponceau and Hetty Jones, who are inspiring writers who have been mothers. And we publish an annual print issue, which comes out in April of every year. Our latest is currently available. And we are, at the moment of this podcast, taking submissions for our next issue. And what is your submission period? It's the same every year, is that right? Uh, Generally, it's May 1st through August 1st, with the first week of submissions being complimentary early bird submissions. Well, thanks again, Marjorie. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. It was great to talk to you, Rachel. So what can we glean from my conversation with Marjorie Tesser of Mum Egg Review? I think the first thing really is just how fertile, sorry, pun intended, uh, motherhood is for a theme that it's about as complicated a situation as can be, as Marjorie Tesser put it. She said, people are nuanced. There's a full spectrum of experience. And that the Mum Egg Review and publications that are publishing narratives about motherhood resist society and media's attempts to categorize mothers and stereotype mothers and motherhood. She talks about how powerful it is for mothers to tell their own stories in their own ways. And the title of this episode is Restore the Balance of Narratives. And, you know, by now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, most of the titles come as kind of an instruction. And so the instruction for you here is really to allow the space for your own writing if you want to write about motherhood, that it's very powerful for mothers to tell stories in their own ways, and that we have several thousand years of men's stories about what it means to be human, 
that have been predominant in our culture. And so publications that support women's perspectives and voices can only contribute to our understanding. Another thing that she pointed out is that they welcome explorations of difficult material. They're all parts of life. And if they're dealt with sensitively and thoughtfully, they welcome them along with other stories about the joys of mothering. And the only thing she pointed out was that they receive many more stories about loss than they can publish. So they try to honor and respect the person who shared that profound material with us. But just noting that when you're submitting work to Mom Egg Review, it's going to be a little bit more difficult probably to place material about harder stories because those are the stories they get more frequently. Another thing that she mentioned that's specific to Mom Egg Review is that they don't often do substantive editing. So you really need to be sending them work that's really ready to be published. So work that is very thoroughly proofread, thoroughly edited, gone through many versions before submitting. And I think a more universal thing that Marjorie Tesser from Mum Egg Review was saying was um, she was talking about the qualities of literary writing, that it requires some kind of recognition. So to confirm or challenge something that the reader already thinks or is familiar with. And also strangeness, so this element that makes it different. It's, it's got a different perspective or a different format or some, something is different about the piece. And through that comes that experience we've talked about in previous episodes too of both the specificity, so telling a story that's really specific to a person that actually then turns out to be universal because you're telling it so truthfully and deeply as your own. But the idea of recognition, confirming or challenging something that the reader thinks, I thought, was a really good jewel that we can glean from from this particular episode. Lit Mag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, literature, art and feminism since 1975, and the Lit Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski, and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at litmaglove. Thanks for writing and reading literature and thanks for listening to Litmaglove. Love.